to Friday Night Fright Fest. Welcome to Friday Night Fright Fest, a podcast dedicated to the horror double feature. We are your hosts, Elizabeth and... Andrew. And today our theme is reality haunted houses or asylums. No, it's asylums. Yeah, it's very specific. I would say it's like would-be documentarians (laughs) going into haunted asylums. I mean, I think it's like, that's maybe a little long. Yeah, not not catchy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but the two films that we're talking about today are Grave Encounters 2. We have previously, I think, reviewed Grave Encounters 1. Yes, we did. And then a Korean film called Gonjiam, colon, Haunted Asylum. Which is, in fact, set in a haunted asylum. And... There is an actual South Korean asylum by that name. Oh, really? Yeah, they didn't film it in that asylum. They couldn't get the rights to it, but they basically had the layout of that asylum. Okay. And it matches up. Is supposedly. that asylum supposedly haunted? Yes, it has since been demolished. Oh, that's probably for the best. Yeah. Yeah. So, as usual, we will start out with our initial impressions and then be relatively spoiler free and then in the show notes we will let you know when we go to spoilers so what did you think of these films so i really liked the first grave encounters film Mm -hmm. i think that that one doesn't get enough attention because i think it actually does some pretty cool stuff yeah this one i didn't really care for oh really i think it didn't trod much new ground there's one okay. nice twist in it that okay. we'll we'll get to later. I didn't love this one. I actually really liked the Korean film, Gunjam. Yeah, the Korean film was very good. Despite the fact that it's very much got the first Blair Witch mm. effect of like, you're looking up people's nostrils. Yeah. A lot. The like, camera the, harness yeah, thing. Yeah, they're is, wearing these camera harnesses. Yeah. Which are actually built into the premise so like you very intentionally get to see what these camera harnesses look like but it does mean you have a lot of people screaming and running while wearing like camera rigs yeah which for me it can cause motion sickness but Uh, it did not in this one it did not in this one i think in part because i was seeing their faces kind of center screen without and the background was moving but their faces were not yeah if y'all have ever watched vhs that thing, that movie was great, but it made me real sick. <laughs> it helps that we saw that one on the big screen. Yeah. And it seemed like it kind of overwhelmed you. Yeah, it was a lot. But I thought, you know, I thought that they made some interesting choices with the the sequel to Grave Encounters. It okay. wasn't just a straight sequel. It could have, it, it had not. the potential to be just like a rehashing of the of the same movie. But I thought they did some interesting things with explaining like the, you know, how the asylum, kind of asylum moves around and how, how like the the structure of it. There was a little bit of misogyny in there that I didn't really care for. Okay, we can get into that. Yeah, but I thought that the second film also has some issues with misogyny in it. But I did think that it was well done. I think it also plays with the same thing of like getting hits and doing things for the camera that the first Grave Encounters did. For fame and online cloud. For fame and online cloud, exactly. Which ultimately leads to their demise. Insofar as this is like a horror film, it's also a social commentary on the desire for online um, fame. Yeah, yeah. Says the people who have a podcast. 
Yeah, but you know what? We don't monetize our podcast. <laughs> That's fair. We totally independent. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're we're sending this out to the world for free. You don't have to listen to commercials Absolutely. or anything. Yeah, yeah. No, that's true. And now a word from our sponsor. No, I'm joking. <laughs> if only. <laughs> so we would um, like to sell out. <laughs> would we? Maybe. Eh, depends okay. on the money. All right. So spoilers. Yeah. So Grave Encounters Two came out in 2012. The director was John Poliquin who is mainly a, a music video director. The Vicious Brothers wrote this one, but they did not direct it the way they did the first one. Okay. This one is rated 5.1 out of 10 on IMDb. Okay. And on Rotten Tomatoes, wait for it, critics gave it 20%. Really? Audience is 27%. They hated it. However, it had a $1.4 million budget. And it made $8.2 million at the box office. Is that based on people who thought that the first one was good and so they felt invested in watching the second one? That could be, but I will say... It's cheap to make. It was cheap to make yeah. and they well more than made their money back. Yes, agreed. All right. So with this one, essentially we've got some budding film students here. Yes. Uh, and that's Alex is the main one and then his buddy Trevor, who I really disliked. And then they they have a second cameraman. So so Alex is kind of the director and instigator of this. His buddy Trevor is the first camera Trevor first cameraman. They bring in this kid Jared as another camera guy. And then a couple of girls, Jennifer, who, you know, is kind of in love with Alex, and then Tessa, who I think was supposed to be Jared's girlfriend. Mm -hmm. And in essence, they are very well aware. So the film plays it straight as though the first Grave Encounters film exists mm -hmm. as an artifact in the world. In that way, it's a little bit like Scream. Yes. <laughs> I mean, it's meta because like, okay, we've we've all seen presumably the first Grave Encounters yes. film. And it is also a movie with mysterious origins yes. in this setting. Yes. Nominally, that happened nine or ten years mm -hmm. before this film, even though that really only came out a year before this one. Yes. And so they essentially decide to go to this asylum and film it as a film school project mm -hmm. and get to the bottom of like, okay, so what really happened to the first group of filmmakers who went there? Yes. And I will say, Alex is... is He's like the film dude in Scream in that he has like this yes. vast knowledge of films, but he's more dark. He's darker. It, he is. Actually, there's a lot of parallels between him and the leader of the group in Gungeon. Yes. Yeah. Oh, no. Agreed. Um, and we'll talk more They're about that. They're very similar characters. Um, but it's a lot of like, well, they didn't do it right. And this is all playing for whatever. And mm -hmm. it's just like. I could do it better. Yeah. There's a certain amount of bravado in his own sense of, of worth and his right. abilities as a, as a filmmaker. Trevor had been doing a film project. He is forced to abandon his film project because Alex wants to do... I mean, he's really kind of rude. Yes. Um, <laughs> he's arrogant. And... Well, he ends up getting, like, contacted. He does, like, a vlog. Right. And he ends up getting contacted by somebody. Who Death sends, Awaits. Yeah, by Death Awaits, who sends him a video of, I don't know, B-roll from the original yeah, film, it some, seems like. some unseen footage from Grave Encounters 1. Yes. That, so this wasn't public knowledge. And then basically says, here, come to this location mm -hmm. in Canada. I think they're in, what, Seattle? So they just got to drive a couple hours into Canada 
and death awaits tells him like look like i like i will take you into the asylum mm-hmm. show you around and i've got insider information mm-hmm. at some point he also kind of runs in like reaches out to the the producer of uh the first grave encounters and is like i know this is all whatever yes as well as the mother of lance preston yes who was the because if you remember the premise of that one they have one of these like cable ghost haunting shows and they're ultimately they're kind of faking hauntings Mm -hmm. and doing that sort of thing hire actors and and they're making the sounds that they're recording yes. that, that kind of thing except for in this last one. except for <laughs> in this one where it catches up with them and then so lance preston's mother lets them into the house and talks with them and basically says like yeah my son's still alive or whatever mm-hmm. um but she is very clearly a dementia patient yes and so they're kind of exploiting this woman yes. and they get kicked out absolutely so they do end up going to this asylum and the like night watchman like catches them and says like yeah you got to get out here like you can't stay yeah, here yeah. or whatever but they end up sneaking in anyway right and then they have they very promptly have another encounter with that guy at mm-hmm. night and the guy is way too overzealous like he literally draws a gun on them which i don't expect from our friends to the north but okay <laughs> And then he kind of runs off because he thinks they have more friends with them making sounds. They hear some gunshots off in the distance. Yeah. And then, like, he doesn't come back. Yes. So something terrible happened to him. And which much, we'll get to. Yeah. And much like in the first film, they, they start, like, going to different places throughout the asylum. And then they start losing their way because... Things move around in this asylum. Yes. They go to the room where there's that window where someone has jumped and, and the second cameraman gets like thrown out the window and they yeah. have that footage all on all recorded. Um, so they're able to see it and then they start freaking out. And as soon as they start freaking out, weird stuff starts happening in the asylum. Yeah. And at that point, the viewer knows, okay, these kids are never getting out of this asylum alive. But then they seem to get out. And they go to like back to the hotel. So three of them do. So they yeah. lose Jared yes. and Tessa. The viewer has seen both of them. Both die. of them die. They knew that Jared was thrown out of the window, mm-hmm. but to them, Tessa has disappeared. Yeah. The viewer knows that Tessa's head has been crushed by some unseen force. Yes. So the remaining three of them, Alex, Trevor, and Jennifer, they are able to get out of the asylum. They go back to their hotel. They pack everything up. They get in the elevator. And then when they exit the elevator, it exits to like the basement level of the asylum. Like they've never actually left the asylum. So they've been in the asylum yes. the entire time. <laughs> or they did manage to escape from the asylum. It let them get the forces, let them get back to the hotel. And then it brings them back. And then it just pulled them right back. Like either way, it's weird. It's extremely terrifying. And so I thought this was a really cool twist because. It's it's always really kind of freaked me out in a horror movie or a horrific situation where you think everything is fine, yeah. but it's not. Yeah. But because like, what if you never escape the horrible situation yes. and any moment you realize like, oh, wait, I'm still in existential danger. Yeah. 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 So I really appreciated that element. Well, and what I, I and then being down in the basement, it brings you back to the end of the first Grave Encounters where Lance is basically trapped in this asylum eating rats. 
And then we encounter Lance. <laughs> right, right. So Lance thinks he's only been in there nine or ten months, but it's really been about nine years or yes. so. He has been lobotomized. Yes. So he's kind of like blind in one eye. If, if you'll recall, in Grave Encounter, the first at Grave Encounters, things shifted in the asylum and he seemed to have encountered the ghosts of the doctor who was lobotomizing. Yes. But it wasn't just a doctor. He was also like a cultist. And doing blood sacrifices, etc. Right. So he, as a ghost, but like a corporeal ghost, like then lobotomizes Lance. Yeah. And that's always one of the interesting conceits of the ghosts in Grave Encounters mm-hmm. and 1 and 2. In that they really do seem like they can take on a corporeal form yeah. and like physically crush you and yes. do horrible things to you. And you were talking about Dr. Friedkin, the director of the asylum. Doing lobotomies and other horrific things, but also, you know, satanic cultists. Like you do. Yeah. So Lance is, let's admit it, a little nutty. He's been alone for nine years eating rats, but he has figured out how the asylum works and the various ways that it shifts and when it shifts. So there's a door that leads to a closet and he opens it up a couple times and then you kind of hear something happen and he opens it up a third time and it goes to a hallway now. Right. So he's created this map that has like alternate pathways kind of right which is very interesting the idea that it is connected in different types of ways and it leads you to different places depending on how it has mm-hmm. shifted i think is very interesting i agree like, and that he's been there nine years and can map it out you know yes yeah the idea that there are some discernible patterns is kind of interesting yeah And he's also found this blood red door that is chained shut in the basement. Yes. Now it's one of it's it's a freestanding door, so you can literally walk around it and Mm -hmm. see like okay, there's nothing on the other side of it. Sure. But he is convinced that if they do a couple of things, if they manage to cut the chains Mm -hmm. and then like complete the film, whatever Mm -hmm. that might mean, that they can then walk through the door and it will be a door to the real world outside of the asylum. Yes. So they have foolishly lost their backpack Mm -hmm. with the bolt cutters on the other side of the asylum. So essentially they've got to go with Lance to retrieve those. And they've got to trust that Lance isn't going to murder them, which is a terrible assumption. Yeah, that was a bad assumption. Yeah. So they do get the bolt cutters back. Uh, Lance ends up murdering Trevor. Trevor in the bathroom late at night. That was a pretty cool scene. Yeah, but what I think is actually really cool is that there's clearly something guiding Lance. Because that room that had all the writing on the wall, new writing starts to appear on the wall that's like telling him to do things. And there's something that is filming, like holding on to the video camera... But it's not Lance and it's not like there's no other person in the room. Like there's a a spectral like filmmaker. (laughs) No, I I like it a lot because you see that Lance isn't just insane. He is insane and in league with the spirits. Or at least being controlled by them in some way. So Trevor's dead. We've got what Jennifer and Alex Alex left. And they have to abandon uh, Lance because Lance is like gone off and they're trying to get their way back. Using the map, because they've got the map at least, but Lance has the bolt cutters. So they end up having to go through the forbidden zone, which is where the doctor is with the lobotomies, etc. Um, but they realize it's not just lobotomies, that they're actually also sacrificing babies for their like satanic cult. Yeah. Cool. They do actually end up meeting up with Lance after he has unchained the red door. 
but Lance didn't check off all the boxes to be able to complete the film and unchain the door. So when he goes through it, there's nothing there. Right. And this is the part where I'm like, why did she have to die? And this is where the misogyny for me comes in. Alex treats his girlfriend pretty terribly throughout the entire thing. Sure. And then inexplicably, one of the last things that he does is beat her to death with the camera saying like, well, you always wanted to be the final girl, like blah, blah, blah. Like you always wanted to be a star and like beats her to death with the camera. I think he's got to offer someone up as a blood sacrifice. But could not have been Lance. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, probably, probably. <laughs> couldn't that have been Lance? Like, I, it just seemed like he was using her the entire time because he's unhinged for mar- most of the film anyway as well. He is. And by this point, he just wants out of the asylum. Yes. So by making this blood sacrifice. And he, promising the, the like spirits that he's collected all the films and will make the film. Right, right. He manages to escape. Yes. And, and, and yeah. so we, we kind of close with him wondering on the road getting picked up by the cops in the middle of the night, like on the outskirts of LA, Mm -hmm. like mumbling to himself. And then the final scene is him with the original producer saying like, oh yeah, we've got a a sequel, but uh, just so that it's clear to everybody, this is like, none of this is real. Don't try and find the asylum, blah, blah, blah. Right, right. And scene. I didn't think it was a terrible movie. It didn't do enough that was new and different for me from the first one. No, but I I appreciated that it wasn't just a straight sequel and that they did something more to it. Because with those type of films, there is a danger of it just being a straight sequel that doesn't have anything new and interesting at all. Agreed. Agreed. So anyway. Yeah. And some of the ghosts are pretty cool. Like there's one, this really tall, gigantic Mm -hmm. ghost that's pursuing them. Thought that was pretty cool. So the effects aren't bad. No. In this one. So, and if you've seen the first Raven's Counters, I think it warrants a viewing. Yeah, I mean, if you really enjoyed the first one, yeah. watch the the second. I think the twenty percent is bit. maybe a little. I think it's a little low. Low. I think it's a little low. Okay. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about Ganjiam Colon Haunted Asylum from 2018. Director was Jung Bumshik. I didn't note the the all the character names because I had I had trouble kind of keeping the names separate from each other. Mm-hmm. This one is rated six point three out of ten on IMDb. On Rotten Tomatoes, critics gave it ninety one percent. Oh wow! And audiences seventy three percent. Okay, so still very popular. Yeah, had a budget of two point two million dollars. And a box office of over twenty million U.S. dollars. Nice. So it it made a lot of money, and I think that was uh, that was warranted. So the conceit here is that there's this popular YouTube channel called Horror Times, and they have assembled the Terror Squad, which is really three or I guess four boys. So these are like college age. Yeah, men. Young men. Young men. And then they, I think, have kind of put ads out Mm -hmm. and have taken on three young women who have volunteered to accompany them on this trip to this infamous Gunjiam haunted asylum. Yes. One of them is like a a med student? Nursing student. Nursing student. One is Korean-American. Charlotte. Yeah, she's kind of the most worldly, and she has been to three of the seven most haunted sites in the world. Yes. As and, noted by a CNN article. Yes, and the, the third woman, young woman, is, I would say, like a film student, but she's yeah. got a GoPro. I mean, she, her, her whole thing is like she carries around a GoPro and like film stuff. Right. 
Now, this YouTube channel, like, they have a lot of serious equipment. Yes. And, in fact, they have these double camera rigs Mm -hmm. that are on all of them so that it can... It records their face mm-hmm. as well as kind of what they're seeing. And it's on this kind of chest harness that they're kind of locked into. Yes. So we've got those those six. And then we've got a seventh person who the is the captain. He refers to himself as that. So that tells you what he thinks of himself. And, well, um, it's captain of the terror oh, squad. Yes. I would use my title too. Yeah, sure. And he is basically running everything from another location. So they go into the asylum and he's like in a tent in the woods outside. Yeah, and it, that's a pretty hardcore like headquarters that mm-hmm. they've set up. Because it again, lots of expensive equipment. Yes, they've even got they've even got a drone, which like everybody's got a drone these days. Yeah, but the drone was kind of pointless. But yeah, yeah, he he controls the drone. Yes, so they are going into this. So much like Grave Encounters, actually the first yeah. one, this team we find out kind of later that sometimes they fake stuff. Right, and so they're live streaming it because yeah. there's a lot of money to be made. And essentially all the boys are in on it and the three girls are the hapless victim types who are supposed to have really honest reactions yes. to like freaky haunted stuff happening. Yeah. So like there's a doll. So they they find this this photo of like all of these. Let's before I get into this, yeah. let's talk a little bit about the asylum itself right. and its kind of origins. Yes. The reason that it's haunted or that they think it's haunted is that there was like a mass death there. So it had a female asylum director who was politically very connected. Like there are photos of her getting awards from the president. Mm -hmm. And then like in the 60s, so I don't know much about South Korean history, but I know it, it, it had some military dictatorships, had political oppression. And so there are these rumors that it wasn't just an ordinary asylum, but maybe it was used as like a torture site. To torture political prisoners. Political prisoners yeah. and that sort of thing. And then at some point, this female asylum director killed herself and maybe like all the patients. Yeah, it's, I, I don't know. It's, it's not, not really clear. clear. Like a, a lot of the patients ended up dying and then she ended up kind of disappearing slash dying as well. But like there wasn't an explanation for what happened, whether it was like a mass suicide or whether they were killed by her. Like it's just left kind of mysterious. Yeah. So there's a picture of her with some of these patients and she's kind of in the middle. And one of the, one of the patients seems kind of like pretty far gone and he's holding a doll. Later we see this doll in one room and then it seems to like magically appear in another room. Moving dolls are pretty freaky. Yes. Yeah. We later find out that the first time the doll moved, it was, like, the first time it shows up, like, maybe it's genuine. Who knows? Like, we're not clear. But when it moves to the second room, like, that was a setup. And they had done this whole, like, ritual thing to, you know, kind of invoke the spirits or whatever. Right. And that also was supposedly fake. And we find this out much later in the film. But they do this whole thing. And when the girls, when the women see that this doll is like shown up here, they start right. freaking out. And one of the guys like picks it up and she's like, I think it's, it's Charlotte. Charlotte really she freaks out. freaks out and is like, put it down. Don't touch it. I can't believe you're doing this. You're, you're like disturbing the spirits, you know, right. blah, blah, blah. And she like runs out of the room. So two of the girls end up leaving prematurely. Yes. Really awful things happen to them, which we'll talk about in a moment. Yeah. And then they were, they've also been trying to get into this room 402. Mm-hmm. So 
It's this place has been abandoned for decades and every room in the asylum has been opened at one point or another, except for this room 402. And apparently anybody who's tried to open 402, they've heard this ping pong ball and then yeah. they've ended up dying as soon as they've like tried to open the door. Right. Plus that door has a really heavy lock on it. Mm -hmm. No one's managed to break through. They have heavy equipment to get into that room. Though. Yes. So they've gone in ahead of time and set up some cameras the, the day before. Yeah. So, but they also have their like rigs on them while the two women and the Two guys are kind of downstairs. Up on the fourth floor, the nursing student and one of the other camera guys are like working on the door. Mm -hmm. So the two girls who have departed, that gets really, <laughs> really freaky. And I think those are some of the scariest scenes in the film. Absolutely. So they go out into the woods and they... Blair Witch-esque. Yeah. They get lost in the woods because they one of them has tied a little ribbon onto the tree to be able to know that they're going in the right direction to get to the camp. It's actually a soiled pair of underpants. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Which they found before they yes. went in. It's a little grosser than a nice little ribbon. Whatever. I was trying to... <laughs> yes. And so... They see this and they're like, okay, we're going in the right direction. And then they realize, oh crap, we're going in circles. Either that or it keeps moving. So at some point, the one woman kind of goes off and is like looking out into the darkness. And the other one is like looking around the other direction. They kind of split up. And the girl who's kind of looking out into the forest that's not Charlotte, she just seems to be kind of staring off into space, motionless, yeah. not doing anything, which is always a bad sign. Charlotte turns her around and her eyes are completely black. And I, this is clearly a, an effect, but mm -hmm. she looks like her face turns into like a Slenderman type looking face. Slenderman, yeah. And it's making this like clicking noise while her jaw like chatters. Oh, It's a very Ooh. weird, freaky effect. Ooh. It's well done. Yeah. So you don't want this creature coming after you and then it comes after charlotte which happens of course so then charlotte runs back into the building makes mm -hmm. her way back into the building and then she's in this big open bay mm -hmm. or like i i'm not sure if it was like a parking structure or in any case big open concrete room which and, she hasn't seen before right like she randomly right. happens into this space. it's a new space and then there's this guy so she has a very for the space a very small flashlight yep and so she sees this man standing there. He appears to be nude, except that I think his, he has this maybe like an autopsy incision. Yeah, some sort or, of gash down the middle of his chest. his chest is entirely cut in two. Look, we have an 82-inch television, and it was hard to tell what, what it was. So yes. <laughs> it's not like it was like... <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe our eyesight is failing <laughs> us. But in, in any case, so you can't really tell what this guy is mm -hmm. doing. And then... He starts moving a little bit. And like contorting. Yeah. And then like, and so she's trying to, she's got to turn around to try to get this door open that's behind her. Yes. So and, and I every thought time this she, was fascinating. Yeah. And like, and every time she, she turns away so that he's now shrouded again in darkness, like by the time she gets back to him, like he's closer. He's a little bit closer. Yeah. And so she's like banging on this door. In the meantime, the folks who are trying to open up the floor, the door on the fourth floor, start hearing Charlotte like banging on the door and turning the doorknob. 
Right. Which, now, like, we don't know that these things are happening at the same time, but and, they are. And let's face it, like, based on the geography... No way. There is no way that Charlotte <laughs> could be behind the door to room nope. 402. Nope. And yet, because this is a freaky bad place, she is in 402. Yes. So, they hear Charlotte, and then they hear, like... Yeah. Well... <laughs> I mean, we the viewers see this thing finally, yeah, and it and it really kind of freaked me out. It finally ran at her, mm-hmm. and and the same kind that. of face, and like, yeah, they do end up getting into room four hundred two. Yeah, I mean, of. kind of. So terrible things happen to yes. them, and then there was also kind of one one final boy who had been knocked unconscious by mm-hmm. some telekinetically animated objects yes. flying around. He's knocked out. He finally comes to at the very end of the film and he is secured into an old fashioned wheelchair. Mm -hmm. Never good. And then he is wheeled at a high rate of speed into room 402 Mm -hmm. and we kind of close things out. At some point, though, the captain has realized like, okay, lost contact with these guys. Well, plus they, they, okay, so... One of the things is they have to get a million viewers on their live stream in order to make enough money That's to like goal. split everything up. Yeah. So the two guys that are in there are like, they turn off their comms, they negotiate with one another, they turn them back on and are like, we want to renegotiate our deal. <laughs> yeah, we, we want 20% more, <laughs> which, okay, they have a lot of leverage at that point. But the he ca- agrees. But the captain at this point is like pissed because like then he does lose comms with them. And so he's going to go in there and he's like really pissed off. Now they're almost at a million at this point. But then there's a point at which they reveal it's all been fake, but this isn't fake. Like, we faked the ritual and we faked the doll, but, like, what's going on right now is not fake. And this is when the, like, nursing student is, like, the only woman left. Yeah. They're finally, like, spilling their guts to her as, like, really terrible stuff is happening. Right. Meanwhile, and, like, this is really pissed off the captain. And Mm -hmm. so he throws his drone up in the air, puts on his harness, and goes in. Now, here's the thing. He didn't need to do this. This was all like he could have just gone back to the van. He could have just gone to the back to the van and lived and it would have been perfectly fine. But his like like megalomania and ego got the better of him and he ended up dead. Now, (laughs) what is also amusing is that we find out that right after the guys admitted that like they had faked the stuff that that the feet, the live stream cut. At that point. Mm -hmm. And so the viewers have all dropped down to just a couple hundred people at the end. And they all think that it's totally fake and they faked the whole thing because like they they faked all this other stuff. Right. They're just mocking these people. Yeah. They're like, oh, yeah, I knew it was all going to be fake. Like They're just manipulating. (laughs) Which like it's not fake at this point. Like this part is the real part. And like, yes, they admitted that they had faked some stuff. But like this stuff. ah. Right. Anyway, so they all end up dead. Yes. And yeah, the last scene is like people mocking them for like faking it. Yeah. Yeah. Which like goes back to the social commentary of like just getting things for hits, like and and terrible things happen. These two films actually work really well together because they're they're touching on very similar elements. And the misogyny of it for this one for me was like, okay, they bring these three women in just so that they can like scare them, scare them and screw with them. Yeah, and and it's really kind of a shame because you get to know this group of characters yes. at the beginning of the film, and it actually seems really wholesome. Like a Scooby gang, wholesome Scooby gang. Yeah, like they're into scares and going into like haunted houses yeah. and horror movies and stuff like that. And, you know, they've got some cool cameras and mm-hmm. they, they basically like initially, it seems, just want to have fun yeah. with it. But, of course, it, it really is about being famous and making a lot of money off of this you know, yeah. kind of 
at the expense of yeah. exploiting both people and like potentially like murdered people right, right. that are dead. Yes. So I, I mean, I really like the film. Yeah, yeah. It's clearly Same. very popular, and it's made a good amount of money. It's on Shutter. Yes. Um. So it's you, worth your time. I mean, if you have a toler- tolerance for found footage films, which yeah. I know some people are really adamantly opposed to them. Sure. I am not. I'm with you in that they can be super annoying. The characters in found footage films are really annoying. Yes. Typically, but I think this one is worth your time. Absolutely. So if you're into found footage and asylums, check these two out. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks for listening and supporting independent podcasting. If you like what you heard, please consider rating and reviewing us. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Podcasts, or on our website, FridayNightFrightFest.com. If you want to drop us a line on Facebook, you can find us at Friday Night Fright Fest Podcast, or you can reach us on Twitter where we tweet as The Geek Profs. If you have suggestions for movies, let us know.